everyone, we are back, reading from the Bhagavad Gita again. It's a uh, Hamsa and Natai, and uh, he's not a different person. He's <laughs> we just <laughs> we just <laughs> if anybody's just my, like, well, I thought he was on. This is my alternate reality. <laughs> this my is alternate his, personality. <laughs> his other personality. Um, but Hamsa is his devotee name, and so we're gonna try to use that yes. from now on. Sure, I forgot I told you. That. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. All right. So we're on uh, text twenty-two, I believe. Yeah. And we're reading the purport, or are we, no, we're reading the, the, verse. the verse. Okay. 20... Twenty-one, twenty-two. I think it's like a combined. We did twenty-one. Verse. We we because I remember we stopped at. Um, well, looks online oh, for some reason they combined speak. it. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're saying you were starting on. Okay, <coughs> gotcha. Starting on 20... 21 through 22. 22 yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, recap quick. Beginning of battle, the battle of Kurukshetra, there's the two armies, and <clears throat> Arjuna's on one side, and he asks Krishna, who's his charioteer, chariot driver, mm. pull, pull me up in between the, the two armies I want to see who's about to fight. Yeah. And he pulls up, and... He's about to speak to Krishna. Okay, <clears throat> Arjuna Uvacha. Arjuna Uvacha. Senayor Ubayor Madhye Ratam Stapayame Chuta Yavadetan Nirikshaham Yodukaman Avastitan Avastitan Karmaya Sahayodavyam Astranyam Samudyame. Translation Arjuna said, O oh, infallible one, please draw my chariot between the two armies so that I may see those present here who desire to fight, and with whom I must contend in this great trial of arms. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. Although Lord Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, out of his causeless mercy, he has engaged in the service of his friend. He never fails in his affection for his devotees, and thus he is addressed herein as infallible. As charioteer... Real quick, I just wanted to say... so. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of times you'll hear, especially in the Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavatam, whatever, you know, the scriptures, they have so many different names for... Uh, everyone. They have, well, everyone, but also they have so many different names for God, which I think for people from like a Western, like a Judeo-Christian background, yeah. they find it weird because they just... Yeah. They have very few names. They don't for even God. have a name for God. They just call him God for the most part, don't they? I is mean, there a name for in in the in? I mean, it depends. It depends on, on which branch, I guess, here or sect you know, you're talking about. There are different names, you know, Yahweh. Right. And, um, I meant like just strictly Christian. I guess like the Christian yeah, that we have just around kind here. Yeah, they kind of say God, which is right. fine. I mean, it, you're referring to the same yeah. being, the supreme being. But in the Vedic culture, they basically when god does something he gets a name he gets a glorifying name which, him for that which glorifies him for that action so that's why there are so many names like you know govinda um you know he who gives pleasure to the cows and to the senses so when he does something that's very pleasing to the cows or pleasing to his devotees people will often say oh govinda mm. you know and then um you know krishna the all attractive one so krishna is kind of like the default name you know you would swap out with god so, you know, sometimes right. like at work I'll read, like, something from the Bhagavad Gita, and I, if I know they're kind of, you know, a little skittish about hearing anything that's not straight out of the Bible, I will just say, 
blah 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 god consciousness and yeah. Krishna consciousness and if you you know I mean it's simple but then depending on how receptive some people they hear it they don't know what you're reading it from and they're like wow that sounds so nice yeah you know and if you were to be like ah it's not the bible yeah then you know they'd like ah yeah but um but yeah that's why there's so many different names <clears throat> which and it kind of makes sense you know my kids don't call me by the same name that my mom and dad do they call me dad and my parents call me son or hans or whatever right. my wife you know calls me you know honey sweetie or right. calls me by my name so depending on your relationship with people you have a different name or you're called something else or your friends mm. call you a, a nickname and it's the same thing with uh mm. so because <clears throat> i know sometimes people like that are not familiar with it they get confused by that and they're like why do you have so many names or uh yeah yeah it can also sometimes seem to people that we're talking about different people each time yeah yeah I think it's another reason people think we have multiple gods. It's like just an additional thing yeah, adding on to that. Yeah, that would be something that. nice to address one of one of these times. Because um, anyway, we don't have to get into that at the moment. But yes, I yeah. Because that's like a whole <laughs> a whole other uh, thing. It is something important to talk about because to some people that is a really big turnoff because they think. Oh, you're, they, they they equate Hinduism with polytheism, which is not polytheism. The there are different demigods, but there is Hinduism at its core is monotheistic. There is only one supreme being. Right. The demigods are just entities that it's like you know, the just, angels. Well, the way I, mean, I described it to Shruti the other day was like Minecraft. Right. <clears throat> you have the dude who made Minecraft, and then. All the players go into Minecraft. They can make whatever they want. Right. And then someone working at Microsoft, you have all these people that are managing the servers, ma maintaining right. the servers that the game world is stored in. That's what the demigods do. Yeah. Krishna is the creator, but then main, be, the, the universe and the, the whole cosmic manifestation is maintained through... It ultimately is Krishna maintaining everything because he is the source of the demigods. He is the source of everything. Yeah. So just because you have a demigod doing something, and what happens is, you know, many Hindus get it confused, and they think, oh, well, you know, Shiva is the most powerful, and worship Shiva. I mean, there's nothing wrong with worshiping Shiva, but if you're worshiping Shiva, and they speak about this in the Vedic scriptures, if you're worshiping a demigod for a material gain, then you are ultimately wasting your time, because why... You know, supposed to be why worship someone anyway. who is not the supreme being to gain something material when it's only going to be temporary? Why not worship yeah. the ultimate supreme being, which if you worship him, you're automatically worshiping everything else. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, just, it's something I hear a lot of people, you know, if they ask you, oh, are you Hindu? Do you guys worship a thousand gods? And it's like, no. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, we're, back a, in the day when the Hindu, kings had B. chefs and the kings had gardeners and the kings had, or even like rich people have like a butler and they have the, the you know, whatever. The restaurants have a valet, a chef. This like Krishna created everything and then he created people to care for certain aspects of that yeah. creation. Well, get, yeah, he gave us all. He gave us individual roles to fill based on our current life that we're li living. Yeah. Our karma and your yeah. karma can determine, you know, if you really, if you're the, you know, the bus boy, you can one day turn into Gordon Ramsay. Like, right. It's all you about how much right. you want to work. Yeah. If you want to work, 
you can attain the post of, you know, some powerful demigod like Indra or whatever. You, right. but it's only temporary. It, it, what's the point of all the hard work to get there when you're then going to have to get tossed back down into the cesspool of? Yeah. <clears throat> but so that's why. Anyway, the whole the main one of the main uh, principles of the Bhagavad Gita is it's like it's a physical hey there's a war about to happen you know but it's also a it's a good metaphor for the the battle that you have to do with your own mind mm. you know anything in life yeah a challenge something is going to happen right there's a big struggle i have to choose this i have to choose that i don't know which one to do which one's right which one's wrong that is what the bhagavad gita is meant to address it's not just meant to address Arjuna's immediate problem on the battlefield. It's meant to, for all of us to take <clears throat> the advice yeah. that he gives to Arjuna and apply it to our own everyday struggle with, you know, moral issues, right. whatever the case is. Um, and the ultimate, like, gist of what he says yeah. or tells Arjuna is don't be attached to what you do, what, you know, whatever you're going to do. Just think, you know, this is my duty. I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to be attached to whether I fail or succeed because ultimately that's temporary. I'm just going to do it because it's the right thing and because I'm serving God, I'm serving other living entities. <clears throat> so when you, when you become detached internally, that's when you're actually truly detached. Yeah. Just walking away like Arjuna is about to insinuate, oh, I should just throw my weapons down and not fight. Yeah. That's not real detachment because it, it's false renunciation. You're, you're just walking away. It's being defeated. You're, yeah, well, you're being defeated, but like, but you're in the long run, you're actually not doing the right thing. Right. By just walking out. You know, the, the, the parent that walks out and leaves their kids, oh, I'm going to be such a bad dad, I'm just going to walk out and leave my kids. Well, yeah. you're actually... By doing that, you're you're causing so much trauma to the kids, right. and so much you know, all in the name of you know whatever. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, it's a really anyway. Sorry, god dang tangent. Um. <laughs> all right. As a charioteer, he had to carry out the orders of Arjuna, and since he did not hesitate to do so, he is addressed as infallible. Although he had accepted the position of a charioteer for his devotee. His supreme position was not challenged. In all circumstances, he is the supreme personality of Godhood, Rishikesh, the Lord of all senses. There you go, another name, Rishikesh. The relationship between the Lord and his servitor is very sweet and transcendental. The servitor is always ready to render service to the Lord, and similarly, the Lord is always seeking an opportunity to render some service to the devotee. He takes great he takes greater pleasure in his pure devotees assuming the advantageous position of ordering him than he does in being the giver of orders. Uh. So, you know, if you want to worship God in that Judeo-Christian way of the Almighty Heavenly Father, he is the king of everything, or Lord Vishnu, he is the, that awe and reverence, you can worship God like that and there's nothing wrong, but it's saying here that... Yeah. He, you know, and he loves that. That's the really awesome thing about God is like whatever relationship you want to have with him, you can have. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's really awesome. Since he is master, 
And for anyone that says, no, that can't happen, then I would argue, well, if God is all-powerful, why couldn't he do that if he wanted to? Right. Like, yeah, if, if Krishna wants, if God wants, then... No, he has to be a bearded old man who floats in some... You know, like... Yeah. Anyway. Since he is a master, everyone is under his orders, and no one is above him to order him. But when he finds that a pure devotee is ordering him, he obtains transcendental pleasure, although he is the infallible master in all circumstances. That's great. That's really, like, when you hear the pastimes of Mother Yasoda and, like, Vrindavan and the gopis, that's what it's all about. It's super awesome. As a pure devotee of the Lord, Arjuna had no desire to fight with his cousins and brothers, but he was forced to come into the battlefield by the obstinacy of Duryodhana, who actually in the Mahabharata it says <clears throat> Duryodhana was an incarnation of the age of Kali, uh. which was why he was kind of like so yeah. toxic yet powerful. Duryodhana, who is never agreeable to any peaceful negotiations, therefore he was very anxious to see who the leading persons present on the battlefield were. Although, there was no question of peacemaking, of a peacemaking endeavor on the battlefield, he wanted to see them again, and to see how much they were bent upon demanding an unwanted war. Yeah. Yotsamanam avikshayam ye ita trasamagata tartarastraya durbudher yudhepriya chikirshava. Let me see those who have come here to fight, wishing to please the evil-minded son of Dhritarashtra. Purport. It was an open secret that Duryodhana wanted to usurp the kingdom of the Pandavas by evil plans, in collaboration with his father, Dhritarashtra. Therefore, all, all persons who had joined the side of Duryodhana must have been birds of the same feather. Real quick summary. The Pandava's father, Pandu, Dhritarashtra, they were brothers. Dhritarashtra was the oldest, uh -huh. so he should have been awarded the kingdom, but because he was born blind, he was kind of disqualified. So Pandu, being the second oldest, became the <clears throat> became the king. And then when the when his kids were young, he ended up dying. So the Pandavas, while they were young, came back, and basically all of the ministers said, "Well, the blind king will be king until the boys are old enough, and then they will get the rightful kingdom." Right. But then. Duryodhana, who is the son of Dhritarashtra, is like, my dad's the king, it should now come to me, because I'm, yeah. you know. So that's where the whole war kind of came from. <clears throat> Arjuna wanted to see them on the battlefield before the fight was begun, just to learn who they were. But he had no intention of proposing peace negotiation with them. It was also a fact that he wanted to see them to make an estimate of the strength which he had to face. Although he was quite confident of victory because Krishna was sitting <coughs> by his side. Sanjaya Uvacha Evamukto Rishikesho Gurakshena Bharata Senayor Ubayor Madhe Stapyetva Rato Tatmam Tamam Rato Tamam Sanjaya said, O descendant of Bharat, being thus addressed by Arjuna, Lord Krishna drew up the fine chariot in the midst of the armies of both parties. Purport. In this verse, Arjuna is referred to as Gudakesh. Gudaka means sleep, and one who conquers sleep is called Gudakesh. Mm. 
That's not me in the Good morning. Good occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sleep also means ignorance. It's hard to get out of bed in the morning. It's something I've been fighting. Sometimes fight. it can be, yeah. I've had to, like, really train myself to make myself get up early. Otherwise, it's... I've been trying to do a thing where, first alarm, I wake up and I stop snoozing. But it's hard some days. Anyway. Yeah, it's the only way I get up at 6.30 is if I just get up. And I most days I have successful. But there are times where I fail, probably about once a week. The other six days, <laughs> but the other six days a week, I'm pretty good about it. But about yeah. once a week, I manage to sleep until at seven thirty instead. Um, sleep also means ignorance. So Arjuna conquered both sleep and ignorance because of his friendship with Krishna. As a great devotee of Krishna, he could not forget Krishna even for a moment, because that is the nature of a devotee. Either in waking or in sleep. A devotee of the Lord can never be free from thinking of Krishna's name, form, quality, and pastimes. Thus, a devotee of Krishna can conquer both sleep and ignorance simply by thinking of Krishna constantly. This is called Krishna consciousness, or samadhi. As Harishikesha, or the director of the senses and mind of every living entity, Krishna could understand Arjuna's purpose in placing the chariot in the midst of the armies. Thus, he did so, and spoke as follows Bishmadrona Pram Pramukataha Sarvesham Cha Mahikshitam Uvacha Parta Pashetan Samavetan Kruniti In the presence of Bhishma, Drona, and all other chieftains of the world, Hrishikesha, the Lord, said, Just behold, Partha, all the Kurus who are assembled here. Purport. As the super-soul of all living entities, Lord Krishna could understand what was going on in the mind of Arjuna. The use of the word Harishikesh in this connection indicates that he knew everything. And the word Partha, or the son of Kunti, or Prita, is also similarly significant in reference to Arjuna. As a friend, he wanted to inform Arjuna that because Arjuna was the son of Prita, the sister of his own father Vasudev, he had agreed to be the charioteer of Arjuna. Now, what did Krishna mean when he told Arjuna to behold the Kurus? Did Arjuna want to stop there and not fight? Krishna never expected such things from the son of his aunt Prita. The mind of Arjuna was thus predicated by the Lord in friendly joking. Um, uh, hold on, let me figure out what this tune was. I don't remember. Oh, okay, it's the regular. They just have an extra line in there. Am I still reading or are you reading? Yeah, uh, I wasn't reading sure. Still. Okay. Tatra Pasyat Stetan Parta Pitrinata Pitmahan Acharyan Matum Pratin Putran Pautran Sakim Stata Savasaran Su Surdas Chaiva Senayor Ubayorapi Translation. There Arjuna could see, within the midst of the armies of both parties, his fathers, grandfathers, teachers, maternal uncles, brothers, sons, grandsons, friends, and also his father-in-law and well-wishers, all present there. Wow. Purport. On the battlefield, Arjuna could see all kinds of relatives. He could see persons like Burishrava, who were his father's contemporaries, grandfathers, Bhishma, and Somadat, teachers like Dronacharya and Kripacharya, Maternal uncles like Salya and Sakuni, Shakuni, brothers like Duryodhana, sons like Lakshman, friends like Ashvatam, Ashvatama, well-wishers like Kritavarma, etc. 
He could see also the armies which contained many of his friends. Lakshmana was, um, I believe, was Duryodhana's youngest, or one of his sons. Mm. But because, even though the Pandavas were en <clears throat> had enmity with Duryodhana, they still saw Duryodhana's sons as their sons. They still yeah. treated them like with, anyway, very noble. Uh, are you reading for Krishna, or am I reading uh, for? I'll Gr read for Arjuna. You okay. Can keep reading. Okay. Think, well, you were technically reading as Sanjaya, who's now speaking for Krishna. Right, and then you're going to read as Arjuna? I'll, read, I'll start at 28, yeah. Okay. Tan samiksha sa kaunteya sarvan bandun avashtitan kripaya paraya vishto vishidan idam abravit. Translation. When the son of Kunti, Arjuna, saw all these different grades of friends and relatives, he became overwhelmed with compassion and spoke thus. Arjuna Uvacha Dristvemam Svajanam Krishna Yuyutsam Samapashtitam Siddhanti Mamagatani Mukamcha Parishushyati Arjuna said, My dear Krishna, seeing my friends and relatives present before me in such a fighting spirit, I feel the limbs of my body quivering and my mouth drying up. He's having a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> Purport. Any man who has genuine devotion to the Lord has all of the good qualities which are found in godly persons or in the demigods, whereas the non-devotee... So Prabhupada often says, like, there's only two classes of men, the divine and the demoniac. Mm. Divine meaning anyone who is inclined towards believing in God or a higher power. Demoniac, not meaning necessarily, like, evil demons, but right. demoniac in the sense that you either don't believe in God, you only believe in your own power, your own self. It's more self-absorbed and the Lack of selfless. God consciousness. Yeah, yeah. selfless. Selfless Self-realization. Self <clears throat> As such, Arjuna, just after seeing his kinsmen, friends, and relatives on the battlefield, was at once overwhelmed by compassion for them, who had so decided to fight amongst themselves. As far as his soldiers were concerned, he was sympathetic from the beginning, but he felt compassion even for the soldiers of the opposing army, foreseeing their imminent death. He's like, man, I'm going to have to shred these fools. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to shred these people. And while he was so thinking... I like the fact that he's not terrified for his own self either. No, he's not. It's he's not just that like, he's scared of fighting. He's he, like, I don't want to butcher all these people. Like, yeah. why do I have to do this? Also, I can have a kingdom. Which also, what a level to have attained it as a fighter for oh, that yeah. to be your concern. He's well, just that's like, the thing is, like, uh, a real warrior, and Krishna will get to it, a real warrior does have compassion, but you have yeah. compassion when the time is right. When the time is to fight, it's time to fight. Yeah. It's and when time it's time to... to be compassionate, it's time to be compassionate. Yeah. Arjuna's about to try to cop out and say... You know, out of compassion, I shouldn't kill them. But Krishna's going to be like, "Well, yeah, we have a bad ruler on the throne no, of the world. He's going to terrorize exactly. people. It's, it's not about you, you leading; it's about you taking care of the people exactly. you're supposed your to take care of." Your duty as a warrior is to take care of the people. Therefore, you have yeah. to take out these corrupt kings that are, yep. you know, exactly. <clears throat> Do your real Craziness. duty, not what what makes you feel good in the moment. Right, hundred percent. Uh, oh, and while he was so thinking, the limbs of his body began to quiver and his mouth became dry. Mm. He was more or less astonished to see their fighting spirit. Practically the whole community, all blood relatives of Arjuna, had come to fight with him. 
in the Mahabharata, as well as in the, I think in the Bhagavatam, mm-hmm. I don't remember which canto it is in, but they, there's like a lot of detail that, you know, where they kind of tell you, because in, in the Mahabharata, for example, you hear the kings of all these provinces and they're different names. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of assume, oh, they're just all in India, but really no, like Gandhari, the mother of Duryodhana, she was a princess from like Afghanistan, Iraq, like mm-hmm, that area, mm-hmm. that far away from India. <clears throat> they had kings from, you know, Mongolia, China. Yeah. Like the, it was legit, like a. The world. Army. They, they even had um, some of the races of like the lesser kings. They, that's where they came from Greece. Italy, mm. Europe, that region. I mean, it was insane. They had, they called them by different names, but according to the geography and yeah. like the details laid out in, you can actually realize like, oh, like it wasn't just some little armies from gathered across India. It was like some Alexander the Great, but even more like. Yeah, it was like a world it war. It was a world war. I mean, Everybody was, from the world gathered really on this legit. one giant field to just <clears throat> cash it out. Yeah. Uh... Oh. Although it is not mentioned here, still one easily can imagine that not only were Arjuna's bodily limbs quivering and his mouth drying up, but he was also crying out of compassion. Such symptoms in Arjuna were not due to weakness, but due to his soft-heartedness, a characteristic of a pure devotee of the Lord. It is said, therefore, uh, uh, I don't know if I have the right tune for this. Yes, yes, these bhaktir bhagavatya kinchana sarvir gunastatra samasate sura harava bhaktas yakuto mahaguna manuratena satidavato bhai. Anyway, one who has unflinching devotion for the personality of Godhead has all the good qualities of the demigods. But for one who is not a devotee of the Lord, but one who is not a devotee of the Lord has only material qualifications that are of little value. This is because he is hovering on the mental plane and is certain to be attracted by the glaring material energy. Bhagavad, Bhagavad. Bhagavatam, it must be fifth canto. Yeah, they, they say PG for Bhagavad Gita yeah. and BHAG for. Uh, verse 29. Vepatus chasa sharire me romaharshas chajayate gandivam shamsate hasta tvaktraiva paridayate. I used to know all these by heart, my god. My whole body, translation, my whole body is trembling, my hair is standing on end. My bow Gandiva is slipping from my hand, and my skin is burning. Purport. There are two kinds of tremblings of the body, and two kinds of standing of the hair on end. Such phenomena occur either in great spiritual ecstasy or out of great fear under material conditions. Sure, goosebumps, that's what they mean when they say my hair is standing on end, right? Yeah. There is no They're not fear. talking about bedhead. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I've been rubbing on a balloon and <laughs> there is no fear in transcendental realization Arjuna's symptoms in this situation are out of material fear namely loss of life 
This is evident from the other symptoms also. He became so impatient that his famous bow, Gandiva, was slipping from his hands. And because his heart was burning within him, he was feeling a burning sensation of the skin. All of these are due to a material conception of life. Nacha sankno mi avastatin brahmati vachame mana nimitani chapashyami vipari tanikeshava. I am now unable to stand here any longer. <clears throat> I am forgetting myself, and my mind is reeling. I see only causes of misfortune. O Krishna, killer of the Keshi demon. Purport. Due to his impatience, Arjuna was unable to stay on the battlefield, and he was forgetting himself on account of this weakness of his mind. Excessive attachment for material things puts a man in such a bewildering condition of existence. Mm -hmm. Damn, that is... Mm. Dviti Yabhini Veshata Syat. Bhayam Dviti Oh my god, that's a mouthful. What are you trying to remember? <laughs> it's a Bhagavad Gita, just like one line from the Bhagavad Gita verse. Mm. Or Bhagavatam. Bhagavatam. 11.2.37. Translation. Translation. Such fearfulness and loss of mental equilibrium takes place in persons who are too affected by material conditions. Oh. Vayam divitya bini veshataha. I think I kind of got it. <laughs> that is a mouthful. <laughs> oh, it's like, like oh my God. You know, one giant word. I think I think I almost did that right. Probably ninety yeah. percent. I see. I was like, I was having trouble. I'm like, what are you reading? But it's differently laid out on mine. But it's there. Arjuna envisioned only painful reverses in the battlefield. He would not be happy even by gaining victory over the foe. The words nimitani viparitani are significant. When a man sees only frustration in his expectations, he thinks, "Why am I here?" <laughs> yeah right you get clapped in irons thrown in jail or you're in boot camp and you're running and you're like what am i doing here oh my god i mean god. even when you're <laughs> just like having a bad couple of weeks or months yeah, or no, you, of a terrible year you're just like why am i here what's the point of this 2020 you know? it's like the, yeah the motto of what 2020 should be why am i here why am i here <laughs> everyone is interested in himself and his own welfare no one is interested in the supreme self Arjuna is showing ignorance of his real self-interest by Krishna's will. So Krishna is illusioning him so he'll ask the question so that he can instruct him. Uh -huh. Is what that is meaning. That One's real self-interest lies in Vishnu or Krishna. The conditioned soul forgets this and therefore he suffers material pains. Or therefore suffers material pains. Arjuna thought that his victory in the battle would only be a cause of lamentation for him. So yeah, I get the kingdom. And if you read the Mahabharata and you hear it all the way through... He's not wrong. Like, yeah. his kids, actually, I think just about all of his kids get killed in the war. I mean, yeah, his there's nephews, a lot of material loss, a lot of like, material pain and suffering. All of get slaughtered, and his, you know, like, yeah. it, it really is as horrific as he is saying it's going to be. On a material level, On a material though. level, yeah. exactly. That's the difference. And the nice thing is, like, Krishna speaks this Bhagavad Gita to him at the end of the war mm. when his older brother Yudhisthira is about to take the throne. Yudhisthira has the same kind of mental breakdown and he's like, we just killed like basically most of the warriors on the known face yeah. of the planet. Yeah. And my, all my kids are dead. I'm like, yeah. what is the point of even becoming king? And Arjuna now imparts this big, knowledge yeah, to Yudhisthira. He says, bro, 
Krishna told me, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. he... Re- so it's not just to get him through the battle. It was also to get him through the battle. Then he experiences the battle. And now he can impart that knowledge to his brother, Yudhisthira. Yeah. It's really... That's actually one of my favorite The discipline of succession. You know, like he yeah. said, you pass exactly. on the in a pure line. Yeah. Um... You're going to be talking the rest of chapter one. Unless you want Am me to I? just read some of it. Yeah. Oh, it goes all the way to page 70. Um, but I mean, I don't mind to just read some of it. But yeah, I think I think Arjuna and Krishna both tend to... Oh, uh, this is where I was. Okay, ...tend to continue on. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll just uh, switch out. After. I'll do one more and then I'll switch Yeah, out. I mean, whatever you're... Just whenever your voice is so, going, I don't care. <clears throat> when a man sees only frustration in his expectations, he thinks, why am I here? Uh, okay, I already read that one. Sorry. Nacha shreyo nipashyami hatvasva janamahave nakamche vijayam krishna nacha rajyam sukhanicha. That was text 31. Translation. I do not see how any good can come from killing my own kinsmen in this battle, nor can I, my dear Krishna, desire any subsequent victory, kingdom, or happiness. Purport. Without knowing that one's self-interest is in Vishnu, or Krishna, God, Conditioned souls are attracted by bodily relationships, hoping to be happy in such situations. This is like a really heavy uh, purport here. In such a blind conception of life, they forget even the cause of material happiness. Mm. So not only only do we lose sight of spiritual happiness, Mm -hmm. we even lose sight of what makes us materially happy. Damn. Arjuna appears to have even forgotten the moral codes of the Kshatriya. The warrior. Uh. It is said that two kinds of men, namely the Kshatriya who dies directly in front of the battlefield under Krishna's personal orders, and the person in the renounced order of life who is absolutely devoted to a spiritual culture. So both of these types of people, the saint and the warrior on the battlefield, are eligible to enter into the heavens or the sun globe, which is so powerful and dazzling. So basically... You know, even for those Kshatriyas like Duryodhana, right? Yeah. He was evil-minded. You know, he wasn't going to go back to the kingdom of God. But because he did die with honor on the battlefield, they still attain, like the Vikings and the other right, right. cultures. They believe, oh, we die on the battlefield, we go to Valhalla. Right. There is, you know, so they had the similar yeah. understanding that, you know, dying in battle is glorious. Right. <clears throat> Uh, Arjuna is reluctant even to kill his enemies, let alone his relatives. So he should have thought, okay, they're my enemies, I'm killing them, but because they're dying on the battlefield, they're actually attaining some higher, higher region. He thinks that by killing his kinsmen, there would be no happiness in his life, and therefore he is not willing to fight. Just as a person who does not feel hungry is not inclined to cook. Uh. It doesn't mean you don't need to eat, but... (laughs) He has now decided to go into the forest and live a secluded life in frustration. Mm. But as a Kshatriya, he requires a kingdom for his subsistence because the Kshatriyas cannot engage themselves in any other occupation. But Arjuna has no kingdom. Arjuna's sole opportunity for gaining a kingdom lies in fighting with his cousins and brothers and reclaiming the kingdom inherited from his father. Mm. The reason why they say brothers was they saw their cousins as their brothers, but also... Their mother, when she was young, before any of the Pandavas were born, she actually had a child yeah. in secret. And that child 
through happenstance actually ended up being one on of the, the other side. Yeah. closest friends and so he's actually on their side they don't know that uh, prior to the battle though uh, therefore, he considers himself fit to go to the forest to live a secluded life of frustration. Want me to read one more? Yep. You're not starting me off on that one. <laughs> Good uh, luck. 32 through 35. <laughs> <laughs> you said, you did it next time I turned the page, and I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> If you can see the, <laughs> the extent, it goes on to the next page. It's not over. <laughs> Kim Narajena Govinda, Kim Bogar Jibitenava, Yesham Arte Kanchitam no, Rajam Boga Shukanicha, Sukanicha. Taime Vyashtita Yudhe, Vashtita Yudhe, Pranam Stiatva Dhananicha, Acharya Pitara Putras, Tatayvacha Pitamaha. Matulas Vashura Potra, Shiala Sambandinastata, Etanahuntumi Chami, Natopi Madusudana, Apitrailoka Rajasya, Hetokim Yumahi Krite, Nihatya Dutarastrana, Kapriti Syajanardana. Pretty good. Translation <clears throat> O Govinda. Of what avail to us are a kingdom, happiness, or even life itself, when all those for whom we may desire them are now arrayed on this battlefield? Uh -huh. O Madhusudana, so he uses a lot of different names for, or several different names for Krishna in here, I love it. And look, Govinda, sorry to interrupt this, but I just wanted to do the word for word here. Uh, Madhusudana means O Killer of the Demon Madhu. Right. Um, and then... Oh, Janardhan. Janardhan is, O oh, maintainer of all living entities. That's a nice name. And then Govinda. Okay, here it's translated as, O oh, Krishna. In other places you'll see it says, like, master of the senses or mm -hmm. giver of pleasure to the senses. Well, he's using the names, I think, to refer to the section of what he's talking about. Like, yeah, the exactly. giving up of the life is where he's talking about money, exactly, and exactly. things like that. Um, yeah, it's no, cool. it's really awesome. The, Sanskrit is just such a beautiful, it's a very poetic language. O Madhusudana, when teachers, fathers, sons, grandfathers, maternal uncles, fathers-in-law, grandsons, brothers-in-law, and other relatives are ready to give up their lives and properties and are standing before me, why should I wish to kill them, even though they might otherwise kill me? O maintainer of all living entities, I am not prepared to fight with them, even in exchange for the three worlds. Three worlds, they mean, you know, the hellish planets, the earthly planets, and the heavenly planets. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. I'm not prepared to fight with them, even in exchange for the three worlds, let alone this earth. What pleasure will we derive from killing the sons of Dhritarashtra? Purport. You know, sounds like a pretty legit argument, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the whole, the whole, all the people that you would want to enjoy the kingdom with are going to be dead after the war, so why? Yeah. Arjuna has addressed Lord Krishna as Govinda because Krishna is the object of all pleasures for the cows and senses. By using this significant word, Arjuna indicates that Krishna should understand what will satisfy Arjuna's senses. But Govinda is not meant for satisfying our senses. 
I was going to say, the problem is that he's talking about, oh, who am I going to enjoy with? And that's, exactly. not, the perp- that's not the purpose exactly. of this war to begin with. Dude, Prabhupada, man, oh God, when he breaks down these verses, it's just like, it's nectarian. If we try to satisfy the senses of Govinda, however, then automatically our own senses are satisfied. Mm. The yeah. real meaning of Govinda, right? Not he who gives me pleasure to my senses. I please him and therefore all my I senses am pleased. are pleased. Yeah. Materially, everyone wants to satisfy his senses, and he wants God to be the order supplier for such satisfaction. We want to think of God as Amazon, right? Click, happiness, it arrives on my doorstep in two days. Okay, thank you, God. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord will satisfy the senses of the living entities as much as they deserve, but not to the extent that they may covet. Mm. So as much as we deserve, but not necessarily what we want. Right. But when one takes the opposite way, namely when one tries to satisfy the senses of Govinda without desiring to satisfy one's own senses, then by the grace of Govinda, all desires of the living entity are satisfied. So then when you surrender and you just live your life like that, the things you need will be provided. Mm. The things you want are not necessarily going to be provided. But if you're living your life like that, you're not really going to want things that are unnecessary. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's like a, it's a, it's one of those situations like which came first, the chicken or the egg. It's like a, the more you live your life in tune like that, the less you're going to crave the other thing. Yeah. So you can't really have one without the other, but I don't know. It's like a, like the, the dualities, you know, you have happiness, sadness, anger, you know, uh, love, you know, hate or hate and love, anger, happiness, uh, pain, pleasure. So we really need to be kind of like centering ourselves instead of going from one extreme to the other extreme. And the only thing that's going to keep you centered is seeing that everything you're doing is not for you. It is for God. And so when you're directing all of your efforts in one direction, that's how you can prevent yourself from being tugged, you know, back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. Then you end up feeling like you're just some, you know, a coconut just bobbing along in the, in you know, in the ocean. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like a leaf in the river. Yeah. Arjuna's deep affection for community and family members is exhibited here partly due to his natural compassion for them. He is therefore not prepared to fight. Everyone wants to know his opulence. Everyone wants to show his opulence to friends and relatives. But Arjuna fears that all of his relatives and friends will be killed on the <laughs> battlefield and he will be unable to share his opulence after victory. Right. This is a typical, typical calculation of material life. The transcendental life, however, is different. Since a devotee wants to satisfy the desire of the Lord, he can, Lord willing, accept all kinds of opulence for the service of the Lord. And if the Lord is not willing, he should not accept a farthing. Arjuna did not want to kill his relatives, and if there was any need to kill them, he desired that Krishna kill them personally. So he wants to put it all on Krishna's plate. <laughs> and that's another thing Krishna is going to tell him is like, look, I want them dead. You're just the instrument that I'm choosing to carry out the act. Yeah. And if you would just get with the program, you would understand that and you would yeah. do it and you would realize that, yeah, Krishna could literally snap his fingers and kill everyone instantly, but yeah. he wants to have 
I mean, ultimately, he wants to have fun doing it. And you like, have a pastime. You know, must have a journey, a story. Their karma led them here. Right. They chose to support Duryodhana, even knowing that he was being unlawful, even knowing that he... So it's not like God just wants to... He's some sick, twisted person who wants to get off. No. It's like, no, man, they, they brought it here. Right. And now there's a situation that needs to be resolved. So we're going to resolve it. Yeah. And I'm choosing you to be the one to do it. Yeah, it needs resolved. Yeah. <clears throat> At this point, he did not know that Krishna had already killed them before their coming into the battlefield, and that he was only to become an instrument for Krishna. This fact is disclosed in following chapters. As a natural devotee of the Lord, Arjuna did not like to retaliate against his miscreant cousins, but it was the Lord's plan that they should all be killed. The devotee of the Lord does not retaliate against the wrongdoer, but the Lord does not tolerate any mischief done to the devotee by the miscreants. The Lord can excuse a person on his own account, but he excuses no one who has done harm to his devotee. Therefore the Lord who determined to kill the miscreants, although Arjuna therefore the Lord was determined to kill the miscreants, although Arjuna wanted to excuse them. And because all Duryodhana had to do was come to Yudhisthira, come to Arjuna and, and actually beg for genuine forgiveness. And the thing is, Yudhisthira was so saintly that he would have said, you know what, I forgive you. I'll even share half of my kingdom with you. Yep. Right? <clears throat> because the reason Duryodhana and all these kings were going to die is because they refused. they refused to do that. When they did come and actually beg, and eventually Yudhisthira says, just give us five villages so we can rule over five villages. And Duryodhana's yeah. like, I won't give you one, one yeah. you know, enough, enough land for me to stick the head of a needle on it. I won't give you anything. Yeah. And so then at that point, Krishna's yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Not so, a wise thing. You know, and if you offend Krishna, you just ask Krishna for forgiveness. You offend, someone is mean to your kid and they're like, you know, beating on your kid. You're never yeah. going to forgive them. But if they came and begged forgiveness from your son and then your son came to you and said, Father, please, I beg you, forgive them. You know, blah, blah, blah. We worked it out. They're never going to, you know, you're going to be much more inclined to forgive the person when your son comes to you asking, you know, or your daughter or whatever, your kid. Uh, same, same principle. Yeah. You want to read the next one? And then we, uh, have the next couple. How much is left? In there? Uh, there's a bunch left. And I was going to say we're actually at around 40 some minutes. And then we talked a little bit before we actually started like recording, recording. But maybe we should just read the other book now. Sure. And you right. pick that up where we left off. So we'll leave off on text 36. Text 36. Put the bookmark in there. All right. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Yes. Sometimes I forget we're starting a new episode because we're still going to sit here and keep reading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, thank you for listening. And um, we're going to start a new one uh, reading from Be Beyond, oh, Illusion, Beyond and Doubt. Illusion and Doubt. So I that's what we're jumping to now. Um, this is sort yeah, of this impromptu. Is um, but we'll talk about it when we get into the other one. But okay. I just wanted to put that out there. So we'll come up with the new episodes for this and Bhagavad Gita moving forward. So if you like it, yeah. join in. It's, it's kind of more similar book, to that. Kind of like the first one yeah. that we read. Exactly. Um, a little more maybe yeah. easy to digest for some people. Yeah, it so. talks about a lot of things you're already familiar with to yeah. some extent or another. All right.